I'm Elaine Casket, and this is Wednesday's Ghost. Every midweek, I tell you a story that's true, that's real, and that makes me feel just a little bit vulnerable. This is a story that I originally performed on stage for The Moth in London in May 2022, the month of Mothering Sunday here in the UK. The theme on that occasion was cravings. I'm happy to re-perform it for you here now. Maternal ambivalence. Let me tell you a story. considered myself a particularly maternal person. As a child, I played with my pets and my stuffed animals rather than dolls. I thought maybe I'd become a vet instead of a parent, although I realize these aren't mutually exclusive categories. I went through my adolescence and my early 20s telling pretty much anyone who would listen that I was not interested in having children. My co-workers at one job, mostly older women, would say things like, One of these days, honey, you're going to come in here and you're going to have a baby on your hip and we're going to tell you we told you so. That's just your biological clock. I was vaguely insulted by this. What was this biological clock anyway? People talked about it like my empty uterus were a ticking time bomb that if left unattended would explode into unfulfilled womanhood. And it would be really terrible. I went to my doctor and said, I want to do something about this. I don't want to have a child, ever. I want to have my tubes tied. And he looked me up and down. I was about 22. And he said, you come back here every year and tell me the same thing for 10 years? Maybe I'll consider it. I was angry at this power he was trying to exert over my choices, and I went away in a huff. Fast forward several years. Everything was happy. Everything was good. I had nice friends, great holidays, lovely dinners, regular visits to the theater. At the same time, it had all started to feel a little bit samey, like there was something that I wanted to grow and develop. I wanted to be a bit out of control. I wanted something to feel incomplete, everything to play for. Still, I wasn't entirely sure, and my partner definitely wasn't sure. When I showed him the stick with a double line on it, he said, shit, and went back to sleep. But then she arrived, and I learned through experience the meaning of maternal ambivalence. I was utterly fascinated with her, especially when she began to speak, I'd often transcribe her because she was hilarious, and I publicized these chats on Facebook to my friends, these dialogues that my daughter and I engaged in, until she reached the age where she felt she was being commodified in some sort of way and protested, at which point I ceased operations. But even at that point, when she was railing against my use of her on social media, me and my mini-me, aren't we cute and isn't she clever, she still looked at me with love and openness, still responded to me in the same way she always had her mummy. And then she reached secondary school. 
Something radically altered, extremely rapidly, dizzyingly quickly. For me, this transformation was a kind of death, a grief, because the receding from me and from so many former aspects of herself was so striking. I didn't know what to do with myself. I cried to every friend and indeed some shopkeepers up and down my high street about my dilemma. And everyone would say things like, you just kind of need to back off, maybe be a little less involved, care a little bit less. And I'm there thinking, care a little bit less? Care a little bit less? What does that even mean? I have no idea what that looks like in practice. In this fugue state, I purchased a very expensive cat with sapphire eyes and huge ears that looked like they'd been outlined in Sharpie. I bought many accessories for her, including a pet sling, placing this creature in the sling and carrying it around, all warm and sleepy against my belly. My daughter, who by now liked to regard me with an annoyance that sometimes tipped over into revulsion, looked at me like I was ridiculous, like I was aging into this insane cat lady that she could barely bear to look at. She would go dead flat behind the eyes, shake her head, slouch out of the room. And now she goes into her bedroom in 2023 and comes out in various incarnations from the mid-1990s, as though the space beyond that door were not a bedroom but a time machine. At one point she was emerging like Cher from Clueless in knee socks and tartan skirts. Then she was appearing as Kurt Cobain, white rim sunglasses and grunge flannel. Now she's like one of the Ramones, never without an impenetrable curtain of hair in front of her face. If I told her I was the same when I was a teenager, which is true, she might stop. But then again, maybe not, because she'd only see what I was trying to do. The other night, she'd just come out of the shower and crawled into bed with me to watch a program on my phone, and with a towel around her head, there was her face. The whole of her lovely face. I could barely watch the program, so preoccupied was I with trying to be surreptitious about gazing at the whole of her face. The moment was brief and fleeting and nostalgic, like an encounter with a ghost. And she goes out. Sometimes she comes home from school and goes out again without even saying hello. She slings a tote bag over her shoulder with whatever she carries around with her and goes off down the street, bound for her friends or the mall or central London, and I'm hovering at the door watching her go, suppressing the urge to call after her. Do you still love me? This is pathetic, and I hate even looking at myself going through this thing. What happened to this mother who was so cool, who was so preoccupied with preserving herself, her own stuff? I may be a mom, but I'm a lot more too. Did I treat her in her younger years with too much nonchalance, as though she were not the center of my world? Is this my punishment? Is this her revenge? The aching and the craving for her, I can't even begin to describe it to you. Her nonchalance and distancing is all the more painful for its being intermittent and unpredictable. Sometimes it's like looking in the mirror and seeing your reflection looking back at you and suddenly it says, actually, no, I've decided you're kind of an asshole and walks off. Except the thing is, she's not my reflection. She's not my mini-me. She's not some version of me. She's her. I think about my own mother waiting up for me in the living room when I was getting home too late as a teenager. Not by much, but by enough to get into trouble. I always thought, why is she so angry? Why is she so mad at me? But what if she wasn't mad at me? 
Maybe she just missed me. Maybe she was simply frustrated in her desire to continue to be close to me, and I didn't understand that. I didn't realize what it was about. I think about moments like a time when my daughter was only little. She was with my folks who were visiting us, walking together down a London street. She saw me coming from a long way off. I was coming home from work. She dropped everything she had, threw her arms open. She called me by the only name she had for me, which was Mummy, and she ran into my arms. This has been Wednesday's Ghost. Every week, I tell you a story that's true and real and makes me feel just a little bit vulnerable. If you are enjoying Wednesday's Ghost, please subscribe, which you can do over on Substack or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Leave a review, recommendation. I would appreciate that a lot. Annual paid subscribers on Substack get copies of my books in Audible or Kindle or in paperback. I would love to have you join the ranks as a paid subscriber, uh, which is a really exciting thing that's started to happen. So thank you to those who have subscribed. I will see you again next Wednesday for another installment. Take care until then.